in order to forego that feeling of like, I don't actually know the right answer and I don't know what to do next. Mm. And I'm sitting in the pain of the moment and I'm not sure how to make my dreams come to fruition. In order to skip that, I had literally handed the keys of my life to this other person who had then, you know, partly because of my complicity in it had become this kind of emotional terrorist for me. Mm. And once I put together that I was the one who had given him the keys, like he would never have had the keys if it wouldn't have been for me going like, here you go. Yeah. This huge wave of grief washed over me because I'm like, I did this to myself and I'm the only one who can get myself out of this. And I am terrified to take it back and not know what's going to happen and take accountability for all of it. Hey everyone, I'm Kara. And I'm Caleb, and welcome to the Kara and Caleb Show. When it comes to life, we believe it is so important to ask the right questions, but also to learn how to live in the tension and the uncertainty of those questions. Yes, when we learn to live in the tension of unanswered questions, we become more resilient, more radiant, and more human. On this podcast, we explore the questions that have shaped and defined the lives of our guests. And then we dive deep into the beauty and the transformational process that occurs as we wait for answers that may or may not come as we expected. So join us as we explore what's possible when we are able to rest in the tension and live the questions of our lives right now. I've got the heart of a Babe, I could not be more excited that the first guest that we have on our podcast is the one and only <laughs> Allison Fowler. I could not agree with you more. She is such an amazing human being. She really is. And what I love about her is her story is so robust and so, you know, so much depth to it and her, obviously. But it didn't always start out like that. Like, we can look at her right now, and if there are two words that I that come to mind when I think about Allison and her life, it's just abundance and thriving. But we know that that hasn't always been the case. Yeah, I think my favorite part of this podcast was her telling, you know, that story of resilience and just how three years ago she was in a totally different place. She was at rock bottom. And to see her rebuild her life and kind of take this total trajectory shift has been amazing. I know, so encouraging on so many different levels. And I just loved how she broke down the deconstruction of her faith and the role that that deconstruction has played in her life. Mm-hmm. She is incredible. If you if you guys don't know who Allie is, um, she is a writer. She writes books. She helps people write books. And she believes that a regular practice of writing can completely change your life. She is the author of 12 books and counting. She's a sought out after public speaker and the coach to hundreds of authors from New York Times bestsellers to total beginners. She's spent the past decade of her life coaching hundreds of people to gain confidence, overcome writer's block, and get their stories on paper. She's even done one with you, Kayla. She has. I know. She's helped me so much. Even if you're sitting there saying, you know what? I'm not a writer. What can she do for me? She can actually show you how a daily practice of writing can improve your sleep, your focus, your creativity, your productivity, and even your relationships. And if you don't follow along with her and you want to socially, we'll list all of her socials and her website in the description below. We sincerely hope that as you listen to this podcast, it blesses you as much as it did us. I was talking to Kara about um, how cool it's been to kind of see like... I started following you almost a decade ago. I know. And now we're friends in real totally. life. And we were, I mean, we were kind of internet friends. We were. In the beginning. Yeah. We would like message back and forth on Instagram yeah. and stuff. And I remember mm-hmm. just your your first blog. I think that was like this whole packing light. Totally. It was mm-hmm. just like, 
it was you and Michael Hyatt and Jeff Goins were like such like pivotal people in my life early on oh, that's so when cool. it came to like telling your story and blogging and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And I remember just following you and now we're real life friends. I know, not just Instagram crazy. Friends. Sitting in your yeah. home. And close friends too. Close friends. I you're mean. in LA now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but good. thanks for doing this. And first off, congratulations! <coughs> oh, thank you. You have a little tiny human. I do. Growing inside a little of baby you. girl. Oh, a little, little human. Baby girl. <laughs> so yeah. exciting! It's great. I'm interested to hear just real quick. Um, what's been the process around that? Like when you realize that you're pregnant, now knowing that you're having a baby girl. Yeah, I mean, so many things. There's so many layers of emotions involved, mm-hmm. and especially because I'm not 25 years old, so. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was married before, and we, my ex-husband and I, this always sounds so strange to say now in retrospect, but we were trying to get pregnant. Mm. Um, The reason it sounds so strange to say is because I was, the relationship was not happy or healthy by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. So it's funny to think that that we, or I mostly, for some reason, thought that that was a good next step. A good idea. But we tried for two and a half years, and Mm. we were never able to get pregnant, and that was always this deep grief for me. And then when I left the marriage, um, I feel like part of what I had to decide or make peace with was that I just remember the phrase going through my head. I may never have my own children. I may never have a family. I may never get remarried. And I have to make peace with that in order to make this choice to walk away from this life right now. So to be really only, I mean, I got divorced in 2016 so we're like three, barely th- three mm-hmm. years in a little bit of change from there. And to be very happily married mm. to a wonderful man and pregnant with our first baby, literally pregnant, like on our wedding night, not to <laughs> yeah. overshare, but yeah. I mean, it had to have been like, you do the math and you're like, it had to have yeah. been like wedding night or night after or somewhere very close in there. So, um, so yeah. So to have that be the reality I'm living right now feels like a confirmation of the work that I've been doing in my own personal life, not my professional work, Mm -hmm. but like the therapeutic work that I've done and the work I've done through writing my own story and processing my trauma from my childhood and trying to get to a place of healing. It's just like the evidence of all the healing. Mm -hmm. And I, and it feels miraculous because it is miraculous. Mm -hmm. It's like who gets pregnant on their wedding night? You know, I just remember thinking when we were, when I was trying to get pregnant before and researching infertility, I'm like, they warn teenagers about having sex one time and getting pregnant. And it's so, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, people, it's hard to get pregnant. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like there's a lot of that for me. Like it brings me a lot of hope and joy. And then there's also this crazy feeling of surrender. Like when I try to make sense of like why it was so hard to get pregnant before and why it's so easy now, there are some easy stories you can make up. You can be like, my body was totally shut down before Mm. and it's not now, or, you know, God knew that it wasn't time before and God knows it's time now. And the reason why I don't love those threads is because you can't pick them up and lay them into other people's lives. Mm. Like I have friends who are in very happy marriages and have tried to get pregnant and have had a really hard time. And I don't think it's that cut and dry that like, God is blessing me now because I've done Mm. something good or whatever. Um, But what it just reminds me is that we, there's so many things we have control over in our lives and we can keep doing those things and taking positive steps toward health and healing. And then there are so many things we don't have control over Mm. and it's vulnerable to admit that and to realize that, but it's also this really beautiful, like I didn't do anything to deserve 
this baby or to deserve to be a mother. Like Mm. I'm, I'll get emotional. Like I just, I didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. Like it's literally just this gift that's been given to me. Yeah. And it makes me want to hold that really tenderly. Mm. It's so beautiful. It's so good. I was saying on the way over here, I was like, I feel like the one word that sums up Allie's life right now is just increase. Mm. It's like increase in marriage and work life and, you know, a thriving business and a brand that's increasing. And now Mm. we bring a new life into this world. And even what you said about only three and a half years ago, it was so difficult. And to see that turnaround from three and a half years, it really is evidence of so much healing. Yeah. And also I think just evidence of that, that the best things in life don't have to be hard. So true. I've loved that an uphill battle y'all have talked about that on instagram mm-hmm. a couple of times since mm-hmm. your engagement and i've just been like all the hearts and mm-hmm. thumbs up it, because you know i think maybe growing up in evangelical culture or mm-hmm. there are plenty of cultures that embrace this idea but I, my personal experience was evangelical culture it was kind of like um the harder your life is the more of a martyr you are yeah. or the more and i don't think it was ever said that explicitly but just this idea that it's like we suffer for Christ mm-hmm. and we're the poorer I am, mm-hmm. the better my life mm-hmm. is. And and then, you know, my dad is a marriage counselor and has worked with a lot of married couples over the years. And I've heard him talk about just how challenging marriage can be. Mm-hmm. And you hear people all the time in the church talk about the, you know, how marriage is the sacrifice you make to become the best version of yourself. And there's so much truth in that mm-hmm. somewhere. But I feel like the misconception that I took away from that that really hurt me in my last marriage was I didn't realize that not everything had to be so hard. Not every conversation had to be (laughs) some big, huge emotional Mm. conflict or, you know, like it's okay to just be compatible with a person Mm. and to really like each other and enjoy each other's company and to have fun and be married. And it doesn't, my marriage with Matt or two months in, so it doesn't, you know, I don't feel like I can speak with much authority (laughs) there, but we really, really like each other. Mm. And that is not something I experienced (laughs) in my first marriage. And it's, it's that, it's that reality that like when you really do like someone, then choosing the harder things is okay. Totally. And more enjoyable. Totally. Like I'm happy to go through a conflict because I like you so much yeah. to get to the other side, you <laughs> yeah. know? Totally. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, I have a lot to say to that actually, because I was processing this in regards to, I think a lot of times we think that things have to be hard in life because we've built an identity around performancism. Sure. That's driven by fear. Sure. And we don't actually know what it is to live a life that's driven by love and position our heart to receive. Mm. Oh, that's good. Mm. Right. And I find that like now this whole like season of life that I'm in right now, it's like, what does it really look like? Because I'm done with the performances. I'm done like, you know, just trying to make things hard so that I can solve problems so that I can feel better about myself because Mm -hmm. I built an identity around my ability to fix things or do hard things because it's so applauded, especially in the Western world. But that's all driven by fear. And we really don't know what does it look like now? That's what I'm asking myself to position my heart in a posture of love, driven by love, so that I can learn how to receive and just have this effortless grace abound um, or this effortless flow just come into my life. Mm -hmm. It's Mm life-changing. It's totally life-changing. And I would say the difference between those, you're you're creating a distinction there and the word that comes to mind for me that makes the difference between the one and the other is just ego. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. there are hard things that happen in life. That's inevitable. There's Mm -hmm. no getting around that. And I think... On the other, on the flip side of the, like, I'm a martyr for Christ argument, you also get this prosperity gospel 
um, messaging that leads people to believe it should always be yeah. easy. And <laughs> it's, there's no predicting. It's like yeah. the baby. Like I'm like, yeah. there's no predicting it. And there's no 10 easy steps you can follow that will guarantee that you'll get pregnant at a certain time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a metaphor for the miracle of life. It's mm-hmm. like you, there's no program to follow to make sure that your life will be easier than somebody else's life. But what you're talking mm-hmm. about truly is that the posture of surrender and allowing the grace to come and yeah. grace sometimes doesn't feel like grace mm. and sometimes Mm-mm. it does sometimes it feels amazing and other times it feels like redirection or rejection or pain or loss or grief totally. so good yeah yeah so our so podcast you know when we kind of got together and said what really do we want to do and like looking at both of our lives mm-hmm. you know we have the tagline like live in the questions now mm-hmm. um and so one question that we ask every guest that we have on the show is what is one question that you've asked yourself or that maybe you've been asked from somebody else in your life at some point in time that's really challenged you or changed the trajectory of your life my big question for myself has been and this has really been for the last five years um before that I don't know if I was like conscious enough yeah. to mm. be asking those kind of questions but really for the last five years the question has been is this really how I l- want my life to be going like mm. is this really what I want for my life yeah. That's a big question um and that I think part of why I had never asked the question earlier than that was I had never really given myself permission to care about what I wanted wow that it was way more about what other people wanted for me or for me it was like what's the right thing to do I have this very strong maybe personality maybe from growing up in evangelical culture but this really strong bent to want to do what was right and to want to seem impressive to people and to want to like jump through the hoops and do the things and be like a good Christian girl yeah and that path walked me right into the most miserable life I could have possibly imagined Mm. and when there were a couple points during my first marriage where there were like these these opportunities to like stop and pause and reflect and it was always like crisis moment things were going very wrong and it was impossible to ignore the fact that things were falling apart anymore and um during those moments I started to go oh my gosh this is not what I ever wanted for myself or pictured for myself or thought I would have Mm. and the process I started going through in my head was I did I did the program like Mm. I I did jump through the hoops I followed the rules. I um, did the steps, you know, and somehow I'm here in the midst of this disaster. Um, and, and I just, I think maybe around the second or third time that there was a big crisis, um, you know, actually hundreds of crisis, <laughs> crises, but like second or third big, really big, like this is a decision point for you. Mm. I just realized that the answer to that question was this is not even close to what I want for my life and started to give myself permission to think about what that even would be I'm like simple things like I remember telling a therapist um, she was like what do you want and I'm like I want to wake up in the morning and for 10 minutes I want to not feel panicked wow and thinking back on that now, I'm like, you poor sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, that's what I wanted. I wanted peace for just a few minutes. And I, I didn't feel that way. I would wake up like, um, before the divorce, I would wake up, like sit straight up in bed, like, <gasps> like 
what am, what did I miss uh. or what did I what's going to happen next or just like a constant trauma PTSD mm-hmm. response and then after the marriage I was constantly afraid of what was going to happen to me physically I was like OCD about locking doors and checking mm-hmm. doors and cha- you know we changed my locks multiple times and I would wake up and my hand would hurt because I had been holding my cell phone in my hand so hard wow. mm-hmm. um so so I mean like starting with even just allowing I tell that story because when you start to talk about like desire and awakening mm-hmm. desire, you realize that the things we want are actually not that complicated for the most part. And they're very human things that every human being deserves yeah. to have some measure of peace that they could wake up and for 10 minutes in the morning, feel safe. Safety. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. And then over time, as I've kept asking that question, I've realized that there's actually way more that I want out of my life that I didn't even know I wanted. And as I've allowed space for that desire to, wake up and to grow and to take up more space um my life has become not easier but way more fun Mm. and way more full of peace and um really rich in so many ways I feel like so supported I have the best friends Mm. I have a great marriage like it's just I look around and I'm like it's all just a miracle yeah it's it's amazing did the evolution of that question come from really like understanding what you didn't want and then that led you to start ask the qu- asking the question or did you have people along the way who kind of guided you into asking that question? Um, let's see. The first time I remember teasing out the question was actually earlier than this. Um, it was when, during the days when I was keeping the blog and going mm-hmm. on the, the first book I wrote was called Packing Light, mm-hmm. Thoughts on Living Life with Less Baggage. And the, the big question of that book was like, what would you have to give up in order to get the life that you wanted? Mm. So it, some of it was like uh, the physical minimalism of the day that everybody was talking about. Like I sold all my physical possessions and went on this road trip. And some of it was like, are you willing to let go of some of the theology and faith perspective you've grown up with your whole life yeah. in order to like embrace more joy or more a, f- a fuller life? Um, and some of it was leaving home and becoming a woman and really stepping into myself. But I think... The the big question of that book was like, what do I even want? Mm-hmm. If I'm going to make, s- if I'm going to start to take steps toward what I want, then what do I want? And what I realized is I had no effing clue yeah. what mm-hmm. I wanted. Yeah. And so much, I mean, I feel like this is a, an epidemic in our culture, but especially for women mm-hmm. who have been taught, like, this is just one minor example, but I was kind of like, I mean, I could marry a doctor. I'd yeah. be great. I'd make a great doctor's wife. Or a pastor. I could I mm-hmm. could totally get on board. I could be a missionary in Africa. It was like I hadn't even thought about, I was so focused on what I thought I was supposed to do, which was get married and have a family that I hadn't even really considered, like, if I were to, like, really go in and figure out what my own desire looked like, I, I was, it was foreign to me. Yeah. 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 So, and that entire question of like, I could, or that statement of, I could marry a doctor, or I could marry a pastor. It's yeah. all about the kind of wife that you could be totally. to someone else, uh, completely ignoring what you actually want. Totally. Yeah. I feel like I'm just now at the point where I'm like, I can answer what I really want in life. <laughs> like, what's this your thing answer? Me, well, part of it's sitting next to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think it's ch- been so challenging. Especially yeah. when I was living under this idea of like, if I can just make it to the NFL, that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. yeah. And then coupling that with that's God's purpose for my life. Mm. And then suddenly walking away and being like, oh my God, what do I actually want? Wait, I have the permission to choose what I want. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was such a big question. So my question for you is, 
somebody out there that knows that they're maybe living a lie or not the life that they actually want to live, but they have no idea how to figure out what they want. What does that beginning process look like? Yeah. How do you start? Oh gosh. Um, I think you start with small things like the answer to my therapist that I wanted 10 minutes of peace in Mm. the morning. You know, I mean, when you're in a situation like I was in a relationship that I would call really abusive and traumatic Mm. for me in so many ways, um, 10 minutes of peace Mm -hmm. actually felt like a big ask. Yeah. (laughs) So it was like, how can I find that 10 minutes of peace? What's going to, what else is going to have to shift and change Mm. in order for that 10 minutes of peace to come into being? And then, you know, I mean, I probably worked 18 months on getting that 10 minutes of peace, which, you know, now talking about the timeline of the last three years, then, then I feel like my life went on fast forward and I've somehow like, I have, I do work every single day that I love with people who I enjoy and I'm married to someone who I deeply love and enjoy and have fun with and I'm about to have a baby. So like the progress sped up, but it started with this one little small request. So I think if you can find one thing that you can admit to yourself that this is what I really want. And sometimes it starts with what you don't want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you're like, I don't want Mm. to gossip behind people's backs anymore. I don't want the drama Mm. of this, you know, just I'm thinking of being in that phase in my life. And it's like every day feels dramatic. It feels like there's constantly some crisis we're trying to avoid or what. And I don't want that anymore. Mm. I don't want it. And it was like easier over time for me to be like, I can't do this. I'm yeah. done. Mm. This is over. It's I don't have space for this, mm-hmm. especially if what I'm trying to get is 10 minutes of peace. So I, I think you start small and then over time yeah. as the desire grows up in you, yeah. it keeps telling you. I love the question of like, what do I not want? Because in that question, it's going to force me to evaluate my life yeah. and be like, yes. okay, if I don't want this, I got to change this, this and this yeah. now. And then comes the courage of actually being willing to draw boundaries or let go or walk away. Yeah. yeah. I love the idea of starting small too. I was, uh, you'll love this. Uh, we, we had a friend give us a $50 Postmates gift card after our engagement just so we could stay home and eat dinner at home, oh, that's sweet. which is really sweet. Yeah. And I, Caleb was like, what do you want for dinner? Oh my and I gosh. got on Postmates <laughs> and I literally had a panic attack <laughs> because there were so many options. Yeah. So then we... Then we decide what we don't want is anything except for pizza. I just want pizza. But there are 35 different options within yeah. four miles. And it was this really interesting mirror back to me of how how difficult it is to choose what I want. Mm-hmm. And then also a narrative that has come up for me around this question of what do you want is, uh, is this childhood lie of like you don't get what you want. Yes. So I, you know, middle child syndrome... My, I didn't get the gushers in my lunchbox. Yeah. I got the fruit snacks that were on sale. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted the gushers, <laughs> but I got the fruit snacks that were on sale that were good for all five kids. Yeah. So there's this narrative that I have to like rewrite where I actually believe that I get what I want. Sure. And even now I can catch myself being like, well, I don't know that I believe that I'm, I'm going to get it. So therefore, if I don't desire it, I'll have less disappointment. Right. I, I think this is why we talk ourselves out of wanting things to is because mm-hmm. we're scared we won't get them. And here's the yeah. truth. You might not. Yeah. But it's not the thing you want. It's mm. the desire yeah. that makes Good. you feel awake and, and alive. honoring the desire. Yes. Yeah. And, and so admitting to yourself that you want to live in a certain part of the world mm-hmm. or you want to be in love or you want a baby when 
you don't have any control yeah. over whether yeah. or not you'll ever get that thing. I am very hesitant to tell people like, you know, I believe in the idea of how our thoughts manifest our reality. I've mm -hmm. seen that to be true in my own life and other people, but I'm hesitant to promise people that if you just think it, it will happen. Or if you just believe, right. because I've watched this mm -hmm. take place too many times where we, there are just so many factors that mm -hmm. we don't have control of in mm -hmm. this life. But I also know from experience that it's not the thing that we're after. Mm -hmm. It's the desire. So yeah. you let the desire wake up and it will actually Guide kind you. of course correct yeah. you. Yeah. yeah over time. It. Yeah. Marianne mm -hmm. Williamson has this great thing. She says when she's talking about the concept of manifestation, she's like, you can say to yourself over and over again, I'm going to get a black Mercedes. I'm going to get a black Mercedes. I'm, and you can, visualize the black Mercedes and think of it. But then she's like, then you might get the black Mercedes and you might realize you're not much happier right. than you were before. So I think that's how it's like, sure, you could fixate on a thing mm -hmm. and you could like go after it and you could not be satisfied until you get it, mm -hmm. the thing. Mm -hmm. But if, but anytime we're that focused on a thing, even a good thing, it becomes, then even having it is like, what if I lose it? What yeah. if I crash it? Yeah. What mm -hmm. if it gets scratched? What if it... And I think that's why the whole, I feel like the journey is, okay, I want this thing in life. But like you said, it's not the thing, it's what this thing represents. And so now the work is, what does it represent? And how do I cultivate that within myself? Mm, like great. I knew like with football, it took me a while, but I was like, oh my God, I don't love the NFL. I love the significance that I find when I play in the NFL. Uh, and mm. so now, if I want to regain control of my life, I'm going to have to do the work of finding the uh, significance within myself yes. mm. so that it's never attached to anything that I could lose. So then yes. I can hold on to things loosely in life. Mm -hmm. So That's true. That's so true. Man, that has me And I know that, thinking. I, go ahead, babe. No, I was just going to say, we've talked a little bit about this idea that like, the thing that you want, if you feel like you need it, yeah, you're probably not so ready good. for it. Mm. Right? Like even in... My twenties, I, I thought so. I would say all the time, "I want to meet my person. I want to meet my person." And I met Caleb at thirty-four, and in hindsight, there's so much gratitude about not meeting him until that moment, right? Yeah. Because I realized that so much of my energy was directed towards like, "I have to meet my person. I have to meet my person." And I think that in 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 that, there's so much false expectation that in meeting him, there will be some satisfaction that happens. Sure. And it was it was really interesting. I came to a place of feeling like I didn't need yeah. a person even with right your before book, I met him. Yeah. Even yeah. with your book, I mm -hmm. think she, you know, the books that she's writing, the whole thing has been like, who's my cheeseburger? Yeah. But we were walking. <laughs> we I'm the cheeseburger. By, <laughs> by anybody <are>. listening. <laughs> uh, Carrie can explain more of that. But the, the idea is like, she's constantly looking for this cheeseburger, but then realizing that she's the cheeseburger. Mm. Right? That I actually have everything I need. Yeah. And you get to be an addition to my life, but you're not solving this innate emptiness inside of Longer, me yeah yeah so good yeah yeah and i've realized really you know when it comes to because i like the that flow of like finding and asking what do you really want in life it's a vulnerable process mm -hmm. so vulnerable. because when you put mm -hmm. yourself out there and you start to like really examine your life and begin to identify what you don't want in your life and then beginning to identify this is what i want my life to look like you open yourself up to disappointment totally mm -hmm. mass disappointment and so i've realized in my life early on that there's a direct correlation with actually an inner healing process and discovering what you actually want in life agreed mm -hmm. totally agree that waiting period between the moment you admit you want something and when it comes is all the goodness is all the goodness and that's what i think like the whole idea of the podcast is living in the questions now yeah right because we oftentimes are looking for these answers in life 
Yeah. Right? If I can just figure out this or this or this, but the real journey is learning how to ask the right questions. Yeah. And then how do I actually allow myself to sit in the unknown, sure. the uncertainty, the the unanswered question? Because like you just said, that's where all the magic happens. Mm. So good. So please tell us, how do you do it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how do you do it? I am curious on maybe, you know, you asking this big question. Is this the life that I really want? Mm-hmm. Um, how did the healing for you in the early stages of that correlate to you being able to actually ask that question and step into the answers of those questions? Well, one thing I realized, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because this feels really important. One thing I realized is that part of why I was clinging to these things that weren't working for me was because I was so terrified Mm -hmm. to let myself want what I want and not have it or not know how to get it or like so scared of taking ownership of my own life and having to be accountable and knowing that like every next step like to sit in the driver's seat of your own life that's the best visual image like I'm scared to be the one who's taking the wrong turn or the right turn or the turn that gives us on takes us on a detour. So what I had done because I was so afraid of that was I had taken someone who I in my mind was really powerful and kind of all knowing. I mean, my ex husband was like a very presented as a very confident person who mm-hmm. always knew what was right for me and always knew what we should do next and always knew the right answers. And you know, he was a pastor. His theology was very sound and. He um, was very respected in the community. So in my mind, I had him on this pedestal and I would put him in the driver's seat of my life and I would think, thank God. Now I don't have to worry about a thing. Mm. And now if something goes wrong, it's his fault. It's not my fault. Mm. And I think so many of us do that. And maybe I'm wrong in thinking that it's, there's a lot of women who do that, but Mm -hmm. I I do think women have been cultured and taught to sit in the passenger seat of their own life. Yeah. And it's part of why young single women are panicking because they're like, where's the person who's supposed to, I'm sitting still in this Mm. car. Where's the person who's supposed to drive me where I'm supposed to go? And it's (laughs) like, get out and get in your own driver's seat and figure it out. And you're going to take a bunch of quote unquote wrong turns Mm -hmm. that will become a detour that you're, that's going to teach you so much about yourself. And, um, but yeah, I think I was so, what I realized is that this is the trade I was making is that in order to forego that feeling of like, I don't actually know the right answer and I don't know what to do next. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting in the pain of the moment and I'm not sure how to make my dreams come to fruition. In order to skip that, I had literally handed the keys of my life to this other person who had then, you know, partly because of my complicity in it had become this kind of emotional terrorist for me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get to make any of my own decisions and I didn't have access to my money and I didn't, um, I just didn't get to make choices for myself. And once I put together that I was the one who had given him the keys, like he would never have had the keys if it wouldn't have been for me going like, here you go. Yeah. Once I put that together, it was like this huge wave of grief washed over me because I'm like, I did this to myself and I'm the only one who can get myself out of this. And I am terrified and yeah, I don't know if there's any other word other than just like sheer terror to take it back and not know what's going to happen and take accountability for all of it. So, you know, I mean, the next three years looked like in terms of some of the practical steps that I took, like I just started enlisting as much help as I could find. So I was seeing a therapist very regularly. I went to a um, retreat center. I know you both know very well called Onsite in Tennessee. That was super helpful in making this pivotal turn in my life. And then filed for divorce. I'm not then that wasn't the order. I mm. filed for divorce before all of this happened. 
um, I made a decision for myself that this wasn't working mm-hmm. for me anymore and I wasn't willing to subject myself to this kind of treatment and filed for divorce and got a therapist and went on site and started writing down my story because I had read all the research about how therapeutic writing can be, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially when you're in a crisis. So started writing down my story. I started going to yoga. Yoga was, has been, still is a massive part of my healing. It taught me to leave the tiny space I was living yeah. in in my brain and actually drop into my body and so figured out good. what I really felt about things. So yoga was a piece of that. Friends, I just started telling people the truth. Like for so long in my marriage, it had been like, things are great. Mm-hmm. Things are fine. Oh, we're, we're good. It's all good. Um, I, you know, I just remember like we would drive, he and I would drive to a meeting or a gathering and he'd be like, you know, make sure you talk about this or you don't talk about this or make sure you don't say anything about the fact that this is going on or, um, and I just started being like, to the point of overshare, just being like, (laughs) I got nothing to hide. Let me tell you everything. Let me tell you everything. Let me tell you. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm sure people were probably, I've recalibrated now at this point in my life, (laughs) I'm sure everything, (laughs) but it was healing and cathartic for me to be like, I have no secrets. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing it did for me too is in the period of time where it felt like he was telling a story about me and about us and what had happened and I'm telling a very different story and it's easy to get a little bit like panicked, like, oh my God, people are going to believe the story he's telling. I just was like, you know what? You tell whatever story you want to tell yeah. and people are going to have to try to figure out what they think is the truth. And if some people land on your side and some people land on mine or whatever, however you want to say that, yeah. then I'm comfortable with that. Like I don't need everybody to like me. It was just hugely, hugely liberating. So yeah. anyway, I, I, I just rambled for no, a while. No, it's so, so good. good. You mentioned um, writing being a huge part of that healing process. Before we you. go there with yeah. the writing part, can I ask one more question yes. about that? Because what I heard you say is um, essentially, I, I can't speak for any woman's experience, obviously, but I resonate like get out of the damn car and drive for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Like, But really what that is is like this failure on my part to take responsibility for my life. Sure. To take full responsibility for my life. And I, this is going to go probably on a little tangent, but I think it came up in my heart. So I'm going to ask, have you identified a, um, a correlation between this failure to take responsibility for your life and growing up evangelical? Y- well, yes. I do think there's a correlation there, although I don't think it's just growing up right. evangelical. I think – when human beings are afraid to take accountability for their own life, yes. they put that accountability in somebody else's hands. Mm. Somebody who seems powerful, confident, self-assured, like they know the answers, like they know the way. Nobody truly feels like that. No human being. It's mm-hmm. part of the human condition is we actually don't know mm. all the answers. But people do. There are people and people groups and social systems and cultures and uh, religions and and human beings who present that way and so they feel very appealing to us because Mm -hmm. we're like I have no idea what's going on I don't know up from down I'm not sure which direction to go well this person seems like they know so I'm going to attach myself to them so I think this is why you know certain really especially the really um, fundamentalist evangelical communities feel appealing to someone who feels confused and lost and scared Mm -hmm. is they're like I don't have to feel confused and lost and scared anymore because this community is going to tell me exactly what I should think about the world. And I don't have to ask any of the hard questions. Um, so some people do it with religious communities. Some people do it with, um, parents. Like some people never really leave out from under the umbrella of their powerful Mm -hmm. parent because maybe they have a parent who's accomplished something big in the world or who has this kind of big Mm -hmm. personality. Some people do it with spouses. 
Some people do it with um, political leaders. I think yeah. it's why we have the... Yeah. the uh, yes. Yeah, I think it's why we have the leader in power who's in power right now because I mm-hmm. think you have an entire culture of people who are terrified, terrified. of taking accountability That's of their what it own is. lives. So it's comforting in a way. Like it is. It's the only way that I can understand how we've gotten here is I'm like, it's, it is comforting to mm-hmm. think like, oh, it's all him. Yeah. I, what, Somebody what I, I feel like I that judge. was my relationship with God for so long. And that's why I asked like this idea of like, all right, God, I guess when you show up, you're going to show up now. Yeah. Mm. And this really is this like, God becomes this scapegoat. Like I'm going to just totally. blame this on God or justify things not happening in my life because God didn't want them to happen to yes. my life. But the real issue was I never took responsibility for my life. Mm-hmm. Totally. And so that's why I asked the question. hundred percent. Like, mm. Yeah. I think it's a huge, huge, huge problem. And I think, you know, when, when Trump was elected, not to make this political, because mm. it doesn't need to be, but um, that was the first place that my brain went. Because yeah. I was, when that happened in the timeline, I was barely, barely, barely out mm. of the marriage. And I ha- actually had, and I've heard a lot of people talk about this, especially women who've been rape victims or having a PTSD response when he is put in a position of power because it's just a reminder of the feeling of like, I actually don't have control over my life. And no matter what I do, even though I go and cast my vote, no matter what I do, this person is always going to win over me. And it's an incredibly powerless feeling and awful. But I do remember thinking like, if, if there's anybody who can understand why you would elect someone like that into a position of power in your life, it's me. Mm-hmm. I can understand. I did that. I did exactly that because mm-hmm. I was terrified to live my own life. And so I was like, this person seems like they have it all figured out. Let yeah. me just yeah. put him in the driver's seat. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think as we become more integrated and humble, we actually are more likely to receive teachers and spirituality and communities for what they are. And we're more likely to see them as nuanced. Yeah. Nobody has it all figured out. <laughs> right. No, and you know, for me, like my faith has shifted so much because it's like, I used to be very concerned about getting the theology right. Yeah. And now I'm like, you know what? It's gray. No, yeah, mm. it, it really is. And mm. there are some things we can know, but there's a lot that we don't. And, um, I can appreciate how someone with a completely different worldview than me came to the conclusion mm-hmm. that they came to. And, and I can, I can almost like receive people mm-hmm. for the fullness of who they are. And so good. even people who are great teachers in my life, who I yeah. have deep, deep respect for and who have meant the world to me, I can also go like, they are human. And at the mm-hmm. end yeah. of the day, they are just like I air. So good. And they don't have all the answers either. Mm-hmm. No, so none good. of us do. Yeah. I love so that. So good. So, so good. Um, so Allie, yes. you are a brilliant writer. Oh, thank you. And you help people heal through your writing. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Find Your Voice and yeah. what it does and then how you got to there, how you yeah. got to be doing Find Your Voice? So f- the, what we do at Find Your Voice is help anybody who wants to write something, write something. Mm. And um, I say it that way because you have people who are like, I've always wanted to write a book and I need to write a book, but I don't know where to start. And we definitely offer products and services for those people. But then I also meet a lot of people who will tell me in secret, sort of, that they have always dreamt of writing something or they've always loved to write or they can remember as a young girl, you know, recording in their journal or even, um, I hear this actually from more men than you would expect that they used to journal all the time and something happened and Mm. that stopped them from journaling. A lot of like not older men, but like grown adult men will say, I used to journal all the time. And then my mom found the journal and she read it in Mm. front of my friends and I never wrote anything down ever again. Gosh, traumatic. (laughs) Totally. So, um, and, you know, my take on 
the act of writing, and this is actually not just my take, but this is what's inspired Find Your Voice, is that the most powerful thing we can ever do is write down our own story. It's mm-hmm. a it's an amazing way to get back in the driver's seat of your own life. Mm-hmm. And writing down words is one of the most powerful things you can do to produce positive change mm-hmm. in your life. The I won't share all of the scientific research on this because it would take too long, but there are a multitude of studies that have been done, one of which showed that if you write for as little as 20 minutes a day for four days in a row, you can see a measurable improvement in your immune system. Wow. So the control group who wrote for four days in a row for 20 minutes each day, even six months later, they were visiting the doctor 50% less often for upper respiratory infections and flu. That's amazing. And, you know, there's all kinds of other studies I could share that about the impact on your mood and your financial state status and your your the likelihood that you'll get promoted at work and um, your likelihood of reporting being happy in your romantic partnership. But the reason why I start with that study about your immune system is because I think it's this powerful metaphor for how right the act of writing is having an impact on your cellular biology. Mm. Like it's changing you, it's changing your immune system. And if it's having that kind of an impact on your cells, it has to have that kind of impact on your mind, body, spirit all the way around. And I've watched this to be true. I've read it in the research and I've watched it to be be true in my own life. And then with the hundreds of clients we've worked with, um, that even clients who come into this thinking, I need a book because it's going to grow my business they leave going, I've been completely transformed mm. by the act of writing down my story or my idea or my thoughts about a thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I stumbled into the work kind of by accident because I started working with authors really early on, helping them outline their books. And then I was just watching this transformative process take place. And then I started doing my own research and dug up this huge body of research that isn't really widely known in the public. It's it's not hidden by any means but it's not like you know a widely known fact that writing has this dramatic impact on our mental health and emotional health and and every other aspect of our lives so so good you said this to me a while back but you said writing is the modality for healing that you are doing in the world which I love it is like the tool that you're using to help people heal it's and it's not the only tool Mm. and I'm I I like to be really clear about that because There are thousands of yeah. tools. Like reading is a great tool. Mm-hmm. Yoga is a great tool. Meditation is a great tool. Mm-hmm. Um, cooking. Cooking is an amazing <laughs> tool. Like there are thousands of tools that you can use. I'm like horseback riding, surfing, whatever. Like, yeah. you know, um, and I, I would recommend any one person who's wanting to heal find five or 10 tools that yeah. work for you and that you love and enjoy and run with those. So I'm not trying to talk anybody into writing who doesn't want to, who doesn't want to write, but it's so rare for me to meet someone who doesn't have any interest in writing Mm -hmm. and I think part of that is writing is human instinct Mm -hmm. it's the instinct to connect and Mm -hmm. to collaborate and to communicate with someone and it's the instinct to be creative and it's the instinct to invent it's like the it's like watching kids um, do imaginative play you know I mean it's human instinct to like to express our deepest thoughts and feelings about a thing and writing is such a fantastic way to do that so that's what we want to do at find your voice is equip people who would write they, they want to, it's in them, and they're like, I wish I could, but uh, I'm not a really a writer, or I don't know where to start, or, um, yeah, I, I mean, I try to write, and it's bad, mm. you know, so we're, we're wanting to equip people to help them overcome those obstacles get, that get in the way of them using this healing modality. Mm. Yeah. So good. Very powerful. I think I need to write more. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I love that you're a writer because right. you uh, you are a huge part of why Caleb and I met. You are. Yes. Yeah. You oh are my like gosh. an integral Our piece of that. Kentucky Rendezvous. I know. I know. Okay, um, we're going to wind this down, but I have one question. I'm going to put okay. you on the spot. Yeah. If you don't have an answer for it, it's fine. Okay. Um, but think about it for a second if you can. Uh, what is one question that you know you need to be asking, but you're avoiding? Ooh. Mm. Ah, that's such a good question. I'm avoiding. Um, you can cut this out I if I sit yeah, here and think about it. No, you can sit as long as you want. I got music I can play too. <laughs> Do <laughs> some dun Jeopardy dun. music, yeah. Um, what am I? Well, uh, so the only thing that comes to mind, I don't think that there, uh, like, I feel like after the work I've done, there aren't usually questions that mm -hmm. scare me, but there are actions that scare me. So I do think that there are things that I know I need to be doing that I'm not doing because I'm afraid of, I still have a thread that old thread of that good Christian girl mm. that's like, don't do anything too whack job. Like don't do anything way too out there yeah. outside of your lane. You know, like I still have like a fear of cussing in public because <laughs> someone's going to, my parents are going to hear me and be so <laughs> disappointed with them or whatever. <laughs> or like, um, uh, even things like, you know, for the longest time I felt, I have felt this sense of, um, from no one person in particular, but like just from society in general, like, why don't you just go get a job like mm. everybody else, you know, mm. like go get a 401k and have a regular paycheck and not have to be constantly in the struggle of building this thing that what are you even building? So stuff like that, that I, I've overcome those obstacles over time and been able to kind of step outside of what, of the, the highway that of what's expected of us and, but then I think I've just like, sometimes I've, I've barely stepped outside of it and I feel like I'm like going wild child and I'm not really. So <laughs> then there are like moments when I'm like, you know, I mean, we've talked about this, like even this will make no sense to someone who didn't grow up in evangelical culture, but Matt and I moving in together yeah. before the wedding was like a big, big thing. Yeah. And so I feel like I'm like really setting good boundaries for myself and like, doing what, it, you know, what I want to do and like putting myself out there in the world and being really honest about it. And it's like, you just lived with your fiance. It's really not that big of a deal. <laughs> it's not like it's that. Kind of <laughs> That's normal. my wild night out. You know uh, what I mean? So I think that if is my answer to the question. It's yeah. not necessarily a question that mm. I should be asking, but more like, well, maybe the question is, what's the wild thing I still want to do that I haven't done? I love mm. it. That's it. That's good. I was waiting for you to get there. It took me all that time. <laughs> <laughs> I like the process of I getting do. there, though. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. It's so, so good. That's it. Do you have yeah. anything else? I don't. Allie, we love you. I love yeah. you We guys. love the way that you empower people. I yeah. just think so much of your story of having your voice stolen for so long and suffocated, and now your entire life's work is to help people find their voices. Just a magical, a magical thing in the world. So Thanks. thank you for joining us. Of course. Well, where can honor. people find you? Yeah. They can find the work we do at findyourvoice.com. Awesome. They can find me at, um, at Allie Fallon on Instagram, A-L-L-Y. 
F-A-L-L-O-N, just like Jimmy Fallon. You put out good, like, writing prompts. I do. I put out writing prompts. And on our website, you can also sign up for Monday Motivation. We send free writing prompts to your inbox every single Monday morning and teach you how to use them. And I get them, and I love them. Mm-hmm. Yay. I'm They're glad. wonderful. Thanks, Kara. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for doing this. Of course. We love you.